0: Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world with Ani Avedisian, the Suburban Shaman a production of Cosmic Reality Radio And you're live Everyone, I'm Arnie Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind, add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of Cosmic Cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's locked down, or should I say, flocked down a little world. Well, my darlings... Today is April the 1st, 2020, April Fool's Day. A day on which tradition demands we play silly tricks on our friends and family. But quite honestly, no silly trick could top the current scenario. We're still sheltering in place. And why are we sheltering in place? We are sheltering in place because we are currently in a light versus dark fight for control of the world situation. Ooh, the drama, the drama. You know, I covered it in some detail on my last podcast, Metaphysical Martini, dated 3 2020 So, if the current situation still baffles you, I suggest you listen to it. Well, clearly, to me anyway, this um, virus thing, which, of course, real, is not a pandemic, but more of a panic And it's being used as a smokescreen while the White Hats and the Black Hats engage in nothing less than epic end of days battles. Oh, I don't know about you lot, but I'm definitely with the White Hats on this one. You know, those who've seen through the Orwellian agenda of centralized big government, well, we've waited a long time for this event to take place. For everyone else, relax, breathe deeply, Slowly, purposefully, because if we do come through this in one piece, and why wouldn't we? Your cognitive dissonance is about to peak, and we don't want you to lose your minds. Quite the contrary. We want you to reclaim them. And together we will learn that citizenship is not a spectator sport, that our active participation is required if we do not participate If we do not take an interest in how our country is run, someone else will do the thinking for us. And that's why we are in the mess we are in today. So a warning for everybody out there, I have recently acquired a giant bag of super fluffy marshmallows and a slingshot. Going forward, anyone who tells me, I don't care about politics, it has nothing to do with spirituality is going to be buried under a barrage of soft, fluffy marshmallow pellets. You have been warned. People, adjust your mentality. There is no duality. Everyone's nuts right now. Don't go to Costco, whatever you do. You know, too many people suffer from what I call MIDS, MIDS, Media Induced Derangement Syndrome. So a few words on that. The next time you become deranged because of something you reacted to on television or some other mainstream media outlet, ask yourself this question. Before I heard this piece and allowed myself to be triggered by this organization's version of events, what other frame of reference do I have that might back up their claims? How do I know it's true? Perhaps the event did take place but they are lying about the motives behind it. Hmm, is that a possibility? Perhaps I should do some research so that I am not played for a fool. People, half a truth is a great platform for a barrage of lies, and Adobe Photoshop is a thing. Someone pays those reporters, and may I remind you what happens to reporters who don't do as they're told? Look no further than Julian Assange. And the other ones, you know, the dead ones. If anyone out there still believes that mainstream media is not biased, even after Google has been busted for altering algorithms to favour Clinton agenda and flag anything the patriots put out as fake news, if you can't see this, even after the CIA was busted for Operation Mockingbird, which never really stopped, by the way, if you can't see this, After everything that is being revealed to you, I respectfully suggest that you either care more about being right than learning the truth, or that you've lost your capacity for critical thinking, and oh gosh, once that's lost, all is lost. I understand the challenges of living in a world where distraction tactics and perceptual engineering are the norm. My line of work has taken me to some very interesting places. I've worked on some fascinating projects, some I can talk about, some I cannot because, you know, confidentiality agreements and all that sort of thing. And then there are some that, well, even I, with my big mouth, dare not talk about. All I can say at this point is, as far as I know, I know what I'm talking about. I don't wake up every morning and think to myself, ooh. I wonder what I can think up today and pretend to have channeled to get more likes and subscriptions on my page. You see, the truth has been oh so carefully woven into the lining of the fabric of our lives that we see it every day but pay no attention to it because it's just the lining. We rub up against it every day. It's right there in plain view. But we pay no attention to it because it's not pretty. It's not the pretty part. And of course, that's how the establishment like it. Since we don't pay attention to it, they don't even have to bother hiding it. How many of you have seen that lovely science fiction-y movie, The Matrix? So if you take the blue pill, you remain in your comfortable illusion. Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir pay your mortgage, pay illegal taxes, eat your three meals a day and hope you can afford a holiday, and continue believing that the government has your best interests at heart. Life is a struggle, yeah, but, you know, that's just the way it is. Take the blue pill, nothing changes. If you take the red pill, the truth pill, the illusion falls away, and you see the world for what it really is. Corrupt. And once you take the red pill, the truth pill, you can never go back to the blue pill illusion. So the choice is ours. Are we magicians or are we minions? And I must confess, and I'm sure it'll come to no surprise, I once I once was a very arrogant, naive young woman, comfortable in what we would call the servitude to the state, And then one day, something woke up in me, and I swallowed the red pill. It felt more like a suppository, but I actually swallowed the red pill. And I was terrified. And I was very far from anything I could call a comfort zone. I did lose my arrogance, and I certainly lost my naivety. But with my newfound liberty came the opportunity to truly understand the meaning of cosmic alignment. And within my newfound liberty, the cosmos spoke to me and said, hey girl, guess what? Cast aside everything you have been taught by anyone on anything, including your precious shamans. You're about to find out what direct knowing, direct connection with the hierarchy of light really means. So pack light and get ready to roll. It hasn't been easy for me living my life outside everyone's norm. There are consequences, IRL, to that. But I say this without reservation. I would rather be free and penniless than be a well-fed slave, or for that matter, a slave to the Fed. And that said, these last two weeks have been a nail biter. Thank God for my daily practice of deep breath meditation. And thank God I can leave my apartment and walk around the grounds and even run local errands. Although today, April the 1st, I suspect that might change lots of news going around that we might be told to stay in our homes for the next two weeks while the nitty gritty gets done behind the scenes. So, the internet is still up, so let's get on with it. Let's get on with the main meat of the show. It is questions, answers, and comments. If you'd like your questions and your pontifications featured on this show, email me at arnie at com or via the Facebook private messaging or on any of my pages, wherever you find them. Uh, Write me a postcard if you want. I love getting – people are sending me little postcards with pictures of their towns. That is so cute, and I have quite a collection. So send those to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, like the tennis racket, Wilsonville, Oregon 97070, USA. Okay, our first question today comes from Chris, who lives in Washington State, who asks. It's a crazy time. So many people are frightened and angry. I was shopping today and a man nearly panicked because he started to grab my cart by mistake. An elderly man wearing a mask and gloves was clearly very upset because he thought the woman behind him in line was too close. And a sales associate wouldn't come close to me to help me reach something at the back of the top shelf. It's hard to be out in that energetic mess without having it impact you. What advice can you give to those who are either empaths or very susceptible to the energy around us? How can people go out and be in all that and not be affected, contaminated by all that negative energy? Well, thanks for the question, Chris. I imagine many peeps have that problem. But being an empath, it does not mean you are a sponge. So what is an empath? What's the dictionary definition? It says, uh, brackets, chiefly in science fiction, ha ha, a person with the paranormal sixth sensibility to, that's sixth sense, not sick, by the way, uh, sensibility and ability to apprehend the mental or emotional state of another individual. Okay, I'll go with that, because I'm an empath, and I would be insane to the point of institutionalization if I soaked it all up, The big mistake empaths make is to take on the pain of others and make it theirs. So there's a two-fold issue with that one. One, now you have pain where before you did not. And two, you've magnified the other person's pain and given it new life within your energy field. So I advise empaths to learn the basics of how energy anatomy works. There are a million and one books out there you know, auras, chakras, blah, blah, blah. Or you can take a class with a local teacher or me even, and we'll teach you all of the basics and recommend the proper books for you too. You need to learn to keep your aura clear and vibrating above the dysfunction of the world around you. It can't just be a mental thing. You have to learn the electronics of how your energy anatomy works. You see, if you're an adult... You've lived long enough to understand how others feel without having to take it on and recreate it within the self. By the time we're grown-ups, we've been sad, we've been angry, we've been frustrated, we've been happy. We've been just about everything there is to be. So we don't need to feel it to know what it's all about. The intel is already in our bodies. And it's healthier always to support people from a higher vibration. So empaths, learn to maintain your energy fields. Find a daily meditation practice you resonate to and do it every day. And in between, when you feel yourselves triggered, recognize the trigger as an electrical disruption in the aura and take as many deep breaths as necessary to repair the disruption. And once your sense of calm is restored, and here's the magic, fill your heart area with pure golden love light. Every inhale is golden love in and every exhale is golden love shed. You'll be surprised at how effective this is when out in public, say in line of the storm. So if you want the technical breakdown to this, one, the pain of another triggers and disrupts your system. You recognize this as not a good thing. You start the deep breathing, and you should be much calmer by, say, nine breaths. Now you've repaired the disruption and the pain of another has no foothold in your energy field. Hooray! Now you start the golden light, inhale, golden light, exhale. So, instead of sharing pain, you are now sharing the love of the divine, helping those around you. I practice this regularly out in public, and it works. And you can do the golden light, you know, walking up and down the aisles of Costco, because you will leave the imprints of the golden light wherever you are. So somebody else who's having a bad day can walk into it and feel better. Isn't that wonderful? Now, please don't misunderstand me when I say the following. There is a difference, and it's not such a fine line, but there is a difference between being a caring person and being a bleeding heart. A bleeding heart is a very serious medical condition. And the universe does not require a sacrifice from us to help others. It simply asks that we align. So thank you for that question, Chris, from somewhere in Washington State. Uh, mm. Oh, a lovely martini today. All right. Next question is from Annette Trinidad. Oh, I hear, I hear steel drums when I say that word. Annette Trinidad, but she's from Cape Cod in MA, which is Massachusetts, I think. So there we go. Annette says, I'm a light worker living in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. From what I see as per messages from the Galactic Federation and other divine spirits, we have raised the vibration of the planet and are well on our way to breaking the chains of bondage in third dimension. Question, are all the people we still communicate with, awake and still sleeping, going to ascend with us? I have a wonderful friend who entertains me whenever I explain to her what is going on in real reality. But deep down, I think she thinks I'm crazy. However, she's lived through her heart chakra since I've known her for the last 10 years. She takes care of elderly people, helps any human being whenever she can. She rescues horses from slaughter. She's active in dog and cat rescue. She is just an all-round amazing person and such a delight to be around. To me, she lives an authentic life, and I try to explain to her that she is a light being and how special she is, but I think my words are falling on deaf ears. She so deserves to ascend and live in heaven on earth. Please let me know your thoughts. Annette, bless you for caring. As above, so below. Where we go one, we go all. It really does come down to how much love you hold in your heart. That's the true equalizer. Look, I know people who identify as champions of the people. They scream until they're hoarse about children in cages or whatever the agenda du jour is. They attend rallies and scream bloody murder about religion or omnivores but their hearts are as closed as their minds to the concept of universal love and embracing equality through universal love. And I've known people who belong to obscure religious sects and they insist that the Bible is inerrant and they have a very narrow focus, to say the least, but despite the rhetoric, their hearts and actions radiate pure universal love. So conditioning teaches people the narrative, but what we have in our hearts, Annette, that's what guides our actions. So your friend is clearly awakened in spirit and of course, of course she will ascend. Her spirit already has and bless you again for caring. And we have another question today. We have many. Actually, I've been inundated with questions. So, which I love. Thank you so much. Um, This one is from Mary Lou Frisk. Hello, Mary Lou. Hello, Mary Lou. How do you do? And she is from Galena in Ohio. Wow. Okay. Mary Lou says, I have been bombarded with messages that blow my mind. I wonder if anyone has seen a change since the blue star over Russia on February 21st. I have a rose heart resonator and I see change in energy. Hmm, what is the blue star? The blue star, according to Hopi legend, and there's quite a bit of back and forth because, you know, the Hopi, uh, they don't share, nor should they. <laughs> and all of the shamanic things, especially, you know, in my tradition too, nothing is written down. It all, you know, gets passed down orally. But the significance of this Hopi blue star kachina, is that it's the ninth and final sign before the great purification. There are nine signs to, you know, you would have to look up the Hopi culture. I don't have time to to tell you all about it here. But it's the ninth sign, and it marks the day of purification. Cataclysm will follow and make make a way for the new world to be created. So when I was taught about the Hopi, I was taught they never, ever left the earth, even in times of cleansing after corruption, had become obscene, uh, like it has now. Uh, They went underground and re-emerged once the land was cleansed. So, of course, it's been suggested that this sign of the blue star, if it's going to go across the heavens, it's going to be an asteroid or a meteor. And it will be blue. It will be blue so we don't miss the obvious, as we humans do. And the Hopis, for those who don't know, are a sovereign nation located in northeastern Arizona. And one of their villages, or Ibe, it is proven that it's the oldest continuously occupied settlement in the United States. And we, we white people, we don't know much about them. What we do know is derived from Frank Waters' book, The Hopi. Um, Frank Waters, by the way, American writer, very well known for his historical works on the American Southwest. So I guess what we're asking, what happened on February 21st then? Did a blue meteorite crash somewhere? Um, have we seen the shift in energy? Well, apparently, yes. Apparently, February 21 or 22, perhaps, depending on time zones of this year, residents of a small Russian town in the northern republic of Karelia marveled at a bright blue sphere lighting up the town with an otherworldly blue light as a meteorite fell in the area. And there's footage from the local Internet provider It shows a glowing orb traversing the sky over the town during the night. And it says that the celestial object appeared in a flash of blue light over the town of um, Segeza. And it's unclear if it hit the ground or if it disintegrated in the atmosphere. So that's, you know, on CCTV. It happened. So have we heard anything official about this from the Hopi? Well, I certainly haven't, and I don't think there's a hope in hell that we will, because they keep everything very close to their chests. But was this, was it the blue star announcing the great day of purification? Uh, well, folks, I don't know, and I'm not one to edit events to fit prophecies, but what I do know is this. What we are experiencing right now on Earth behind the scenes, covered up by the smokescreen of this virus-plandemic, is an attempt to purify the obscene levels of filth and corruption masquerading as world government. And if that isn't a massive shift in energy, I don't know what is. So prophecy or not, we are shifting and things have changed. So let's put our love energy into it and creatively visualize what life would be like in the new golden age. Now, here's something about this, uh, this blue star, Northern Karelia version. That's where all the Shungite is. And Shungite is the great equalizer right now. I won't go into great detail because uh, Cosmic Reality Radio has a whole channel dedicated to Shungite. So if you're interested and you should be, go check it out. But the great blue star went over the Shungite fields. Ooh, I'd like to learn more about that. So, if anybody has any comments about this prophecy or the blue star or anything to do with this blue star or the Hopi prophecy, drop me a line and I'll share them on the show and I will pass them on to Mary Lou, who would love to hear from you. I think it's a lot more significant that we're making out. Mm, More on that later, people. Watch this space. Thank you, Mary Lou. I think you deserve a song on my kazoo. (laughs) All right, another question. This one is from a guy called Joshua who's in Bettendorf. It sounds like it should be in Germany, but apparently it's in Iowa. And Joshua asks, Arnie, are you a secret Republican? Because you sure have some batshit crazy conservative ideas. Which side of the fence are you on? Do I really, Joshua? I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for enlightening me. Um, I'm not a Republican. And if I was, it wouldn't be a secret. I'm not a Democrat either, and if I was, that wouldn't be a secret either. Um, As far as partisan affiliations go, I took the fence down a long time ago because I needed a bigger garden in which to do my thinking. I guess I could say the awareness for the ideology I subscribe to currently has no foothold on this planet. And when it does, and when you are capable of thinking beyond the labels, Joshua, I'll share it with you. Thank you for the question, darling. And this one came in just this morning uh, from uh, Tony with an I. And Tony, she says, I'm a girl. Oh, well, good. So this is from Tony, the lady. Dear Arnie, I just heard that Thomas Schaffer, the German Minister of Finance, committed suicide by throwing himself in front of a high-speed train. Any thoughts on that? Well, first thought, uh, Tony was, gosh, I really do hope it was quick. Um, second thoughts, uh, Schaffer was not the national minister of finance he wasn't the german minister of finance he was the minister of finance for the hess region so i thought well okay let's look into this because anything to do with banking finance suicides always of interest so looking at hess what's that all about anything special about hess it's the region that includes frankfurt and if I'm not mistaken, the European Central Bank is located in Frankfurt, as are the Deutsche Bank and the Commerce Bank AG, which I believe are both under investigation at various times. So the official line for Mr. Schaefer was that he was exhausted um trying to sort out survival plans, economic survival plans, uh for the you know economic impact of this pandemic. And he was in despair. Uh by all accounts he was a popular man. And a stable man and a possible candidate for state governor should the state governor have decided not to run in 2023. Not exactly the type of man who would become desperate over a crisis because people who work in finance, crisis is their middle name, isn't it? So I don't know. I couldn't find too much about the actual injury, but his body was found on a high speed rail line. Um, They couldn't initially identify it as a result of the injuries. Well, you know, if you've been hit by a fast train. But a couple of red flags for me, I suppose. um, If you have a steady track record and then despair to the extent of suicide, okay, something worth investigating. Not saying it can't happen. The other red flag for me, well, for me was I didn't think people committed suicide by train. It wouldn't be my choice. But according to the Brotherhood of Engineers and Locomotive Trainmen, part of the Teamsters, it's more common than people would think. But it's not a foolproof method of ending one's life. Uh, maybe many of them just end up severely injured and worse off than before. So don't do it if you're contemplating suicide. Uh, Tony, I'm always skeptical when financial officers and bankers commit suicide. I've counted almost 90 bankers suicide since 2013. Um I don't think anyone's going to show me the autopsy report. Was he dead before the train hit him? I don't know. I guess we'll never know. But all I do know is this. May the divine rest and illuminate his soul, and may his soul find peace and his family find solace. Thank you for, um, for being alert and vigilant on that one. And we have more questions, more questions. Uh, let me have a little sip of my martini. It liberates my brain, people, when I have a little sip. Okay. Here's a question from Jill Cable in Beaverton, Oregon. And I know you, Jill Cable. You are the two-time contest winner of my Name the Obscure Author quiz. And had I known you were such a wonderful analyst and investigator, I wouldn't have allowed you (laughs) to enter the quiz. Okay. Jill says... You keep hearing about how everything is love and light and, uh, you know, on the other side. And that when you transition over, you are met by your family members who pass before you and are lovingly welcomed with open arms. Well, what if the only family members you knew were pretty much cold and judgmental towards each other in life? Would they remain so once they were on the other side or would they have shed their egos? Hmm, Interesting question. It's up to them if they want to shed their egos once they're on the other side, but it's pretty hard not to. When you first transition to the other side, you are still in your personality. Uh, your death and your recent life, well, those have to be processed. You know, you're still you. And the time frame for that is different for everyone, depending on what kind of a life you had, uh, your mental health and uh, the circumstances of your death, uh, blah, blah, blah. So once we come to terms with all of that, what we were and what we really are, then the personality is transcended and, and we grow into what we call the awareness of the cumulative soul. We have a sense of all the personalities we have ever played and we're all that we ever were. So we're working on finding peace and balance. And we embrace our true nature, of course, which is cosmic, divine, eternal, and all that good stuff. So without the personality ego, soul to soul, we have no issues, just experiences. So your personality becomes a character you played in one of the greater plays of your life. But you don't have any of the pain body that goes with it. Now, heaven is multi-layered. There are different levels of awareness that exist on various frequencies. And one day I'm going to devote a whole show to my experiences up there because it's fascinating. But for now, let's just say that, as with everywhere else, how much love you hold in your heart determines which frequency you occupy. If the false ego is transcended, reunions will be joyful. And if the ego is not transcended, there will be no meaningful reunion as you'll be living in incompatible frequencies. And incidentally, uh, I should mention this, this is useful information. We may smash heads against each other on this realm, but when we're asleep, when our personality is asleep, our souls, they chat to each other most courteously and without any drama. Because the soul, well, it doesn't suffer and it doesn't have a false ego. All of that is coded in the pain body of our physical incarnation We don't smash heads soul to soul. We discuss the experience. You know, when peeps come to see me, they have these great stories about their piece of poop relatives who passed over and then came to them in dreams. So the relative is no longer a piece of poop on the other side. They figured it all out. And then they come to you in a dream and they tell you they realize what a poop they were. Now, it takes guts to do that in real life. But it takes a lot of energy, quite literally, to communicate with someone earthbound, if you're on the other side, to communicate with someone earthbound who hates your guts. So if that happens, if Auntie Ethel was horrible to you, but she figured it all out and then comes to you in a dream to apologize, show a little compassion, would you? Because, you know, in a few years time, that could be you. The game of life, how to play it, will we ever learn? Maybe. Thank you, Jill. Good question. All right, where are we? Yes, we have another question. God, we have questions. We have so many questions. Dear Ani, oh, this is this is funny. I like this one. Okay, deep breath. <laughs> Dear Ani, I have to admit, I am sick and tired of hearing that the light will vanquish the dark. And all shall be love and light and peace for one thousand years. And taxation will go away and there will be no more wars and food won't be poisoned. And Jesus will return driving his brand new Tesla, sipping a green juice smoothie and blessing a newly elected government of noble souls of high moral character, and comedy will be clever and funny, and all men shall be brothers, and all women shall be sisters, and mac and cheese won't make you fat, and dog poop will self-destruct ten seconds after elimination. I do hope what you say is happening really is happening. Anyway, my question is as follows. Has the president destroyed the Federal Reserve yet? Some say he has merged it with the Treasury. Is Nassara bogus? Sincerely, Petros the Peeved from Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> That's the longest sentence ever and the funniest email I've ever had. Oh, my God, a Greek guy from Chicago. I bet you the only one. Yasu, Petros. Yasu. Well, anyway, Petros. Um, has the president destroyed the Federal Reserve I can't say because I'm not privy to the any workings of the Trump team, unfortunately. Um, if you need a shaman, Trump, I, I'm, I'm volunteering. Uh, but my intel does say the Fed's received a serious ass kicking and is being nationalized. Uh, more on that as I learn. Uh, Nasara is not bogus. It was drafted in the 1990s by a chap called Harvey Francis Bernard, and it was presented to Congress, uh, who rejected it because – why would they want to eliminate debt and stabilize the economy? It wouldn't serve them, would it? Uh, he was very frustrated by this, as I would be too, and he later put Nassara document up on the public domain, um, and he renamed it either in 2001 or 2005. I can't remember, but you know what the full name of it is? It's Draining the Swamp Monetary and Fiscal Policy Reform Nassara. So it can't be bogus because it exists. And when it, you know, draining the swamp, that's a familiar term. I take a close look at what the president's been up to of late and fact check it against the actual Nasara. And what I mean by that is I think why people dismiss Nassara is due to new ages like Goodwin, um, who I think was called herself the dove of oneness or whatever, and Sheldon nidal and a few others. They sort of hijack the whole Nasara thing and and tied it into aliens and UFO landings and reptilians and dark overlords, and none of which I discount, by the way, clearly. But, oh, people, I'm very careful when I talk about such things. So um, then there was the whole thing with the people on the Nassara, the New Age Nassara bandwagon. They started getting involved in dodgy investment schemes, and uh, people are easily led, and other people are all too willing to lead them right up the garden path in this case. Anywho, it really pissed off Mr. Bernard, most royally, and I can't blame him. So you should all get out and buy the book Draining the Swamp. Um, you can find it uh, through signature printing in Maryland. And there's probably a PDF somewhere online, Draining the Swamp. Um, and it, it's, it doesn't have any of the UFO or the reptilian or any of that stuff in it. It just talks about what really has gone wrong with America and how to fix it. How to pay off the national debt? How to eliminate uh, public and private debt? How to put money into public works projects? How to replace the income tax system? How to solve our balance of trade? How to rebuild American interest without high, you know, and bring back high-paying, productive jobs? So, Mr. Bernard, he describes it as um, a mosaic of ideas. Um, he is a very interesting chap. He was a systems philosopher, a great fix-it man for technology. He writes very well about money. He's not an economist. He writes about banking. He's not a banker. He writes about law. He's not a lawyer. He writes about morality. He's not a minister. He writes about history. He's not a historian. He writes about society in general. He's not a sociologist. He writes about politics. He's not a politician. He is a troubleshooter, a fix-it guy. He's not around anymore. He was um a technical consultant par excellence so get out there and get a copy of the actual nasara and don't be distracted by the new age embellishments and enhancements okay thank you for that question and now i have a comment because we have you know we've expanded this to questions answers and comments Sometimes you don't want to ask a question. You just, and you're not interested in my answers. (laughs) I can't blame you. You just want to say something. So here we go. We have a comment here from Sister Raylene, who lives in the greater Boston area. Raylene, Sister Raylene, is a nun. And she says that I have outlived my useful, uh, my practical usefulness as a nun But I'm still heavily involved in the ministry of prayer. And I wish to share this missive with you. Sister Aileen has written. I am outraged at the mean spiritedness of Americans today. You would think that once people figured out they were all misled by the same group of people, they would unite. Believe me. No one understands the evil of a corrupt patriarchy better than women who serve in the church. Whatever you have heard, it is worse, I can assure you. Yet we have decided to deal with it with grace. Grace is the only way forward. To look to God for direction is the only way forward. To pray without ceasing is the only way forward. I ask everyone to set time aside each day to commune with the Lord. Your religion, your denomination, these things are of no consequence to God. What matters is that we see each other through the loving eyes of God. Please pray daily and open your hearts to the love of God. Well, Sister Raylene, I won't disagree with any of that. That's very good advice. And I'm delighted to receive this from you. I did not think that Metaphysical Martini um, would be on the podcast playlist for retired nuns. I have to say I'm tickled pink to get this from you. And Sister Raylene also enclosed this lovely prayer for me to share with you. And I hope you won't mind if I do share it with you because it is a prayer written by someone I am very partial to. Hildegard of Bingen or, as I know her, Hilde van B. And looking at this prayer, I think it's been modernized. Um, I didn't have time today to find the original script. Um, Not that I would have read it in Latin or German, but um, uh, a slightly updated version of Holy Spirit Comforting Fire by Hildegard of Bingen. Holy Spirit Comforting Fire Life of all creation, anointing the sick, cleansing body and soul, fill this body. Holy Spirit, sacred breath, fire of love, sweetest taste, beautiful aroma, fill this heart. Holy Spirit, filling the world from the heights to the deep, raining from clouds, filling rivers and sea, fill this mind. Most Holy Spirit, forgiving and giving, uniting strangers, reconciling enemies, seeking the lost, and unfolding us together, fill these gathered here. Most Holy Spirit, bringing light into dark places, igniting praise, greatest gift, our hope and encourager, Holy Spirit of Christ. We praise you. Amen. Oh, that was quite lovely. Written by Hildegard of Bingen. And thank you for your words, Sister Aileen. And thank you for sharing this beautiful prayer with us. And a reminder, I think, at all times, but especially in these challenging and transformative times, let us remember that how we treat each other is a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. Oh, I just need to take a moment after that. Um, I'm I'm toasting all the nuns in the greater Boston area. Hello, my darlings. All right, let's do, I think, uh, one more question. All right, uh, let's just pick one. Um, Okay. Dear Suburban Shaman, my wife and I listen to your show during breakfast on Sundays. Thank you. You have come across and dealt with many interesting, fascinating, and often dangerous energies. Would you be willing to share what has frightened you the most? Whew. Um, wow. Okay. If I'm honest, what frightens me most is how easily mankind is led through fear. How easily rational thinking is overwritten by panic. And how spiteful people can be when they are electrically charged with fear. It frightens me to see how easily people created from pure sovereign spirit degenerate into state servitude. If I'm honest, I have to say nothing on God's realms of experience frightens me more than that. And I'm seeing that all around me today. Be kind to each other, everyone. Everyone's very confused right now. Thank you for the question and thank you for listening into the show and sharing your Sunday breakfast time with me. I do appreciate it very, very much indeed. And thank you everyone for the questions. We have quite a few more and we will, you know, hold some of those over to, for the next show. So I think that's it for questions and answers and comments. Uh, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, don't be shy. We want, you know, we started this show to learn what wags your world. So don't be shy about sharing. And, of course, a reminder that you can always do so anonymously. You don't have to identify yourselves if you don't want to. Well, we have lost track of our regular programming the last couple of uh, you know, shows due to current events. But I would like to introduce a new segment today. And we will alternate this with Plato Chips, our philosophy corner as we have quite a following on Plato Chips. And if I don't do it, people get very upset with me. But I do want to diversify. So this segment, hang on, with my kazoo? This segment is called The Cryptic Mystic. I'm a lover of all things mystical and magical. So, you know, here goes. This week's Cryptic Mystic is none other than Hilde van B. Hildegard of Bingen. So who was this wonderful woman? Let's not dismiss all of the wonderful mysticism of all the traditional religions just because we're transcending the creeds of the religions themselves. You know? So Hildegard van Bingen, um, also known as Hildegard von Bingen, she was born, uh, as far as we know, 1098, and lived through till 1179, Common Era. You know, that's not a bad run uh, for that time. Uh, people died quite young then. She was a Christian mystic, a Benedictine abbess, uh, a polymath. Um, a polymath is someone who just gets everything has a wide range of interests and is adapted all of them. Um, she studied philosophy, music, music com- musical composition, herbalism, literature, cosmology, medicine, biology, theology, natural history. She was very into natural history. And one of the things I liked about her, because I like so much about this woman, she was completely crazy and mad and wonderful. Uh, she actually um, put the middle finger up to the patriarchal hierarchy of the church, and they respected her. They did not marginalize her. She really wanted to push the established boundaries for women past the limits of the day, you know. So she is best known, I think, for her spiritual concept of uh, viriditas, which is um, loosely translated as greenness. In other words, she believed that there was a life force, a cosmic chi that infused the natural world. As far as she was concerned, the divine manifested itself and was apparent most in nature. And that nature was proof that the divine existed because it was there to glorify God. And she's also known in academic circles uh, for her writings on the concept of sapientia, divine wisdom. And this is specifically Feminine divine wisdom, nurturing the soul, the human soul. And from a young age, she had these ecstatic visions of light and sound. And, you know, this was long before the days where we all took LSD for recreational purposes. She had no concept about what was going on, so she interpreted them as messages from God. And lo and behold, these visions were authenticated by the ecclesiastical hierarchy who actually encouraged her to write them down and, uh, you know, so that she could share them later. And she became very famous in her own lifetime. She was known for her visions, her wisdom, her music. Oh, her, wi- her, her music's awesome. Uh, her writings and many people, including high nobility and royalty throughout Europe, sought her wisdom. So where did she come from? Was she just like some little poor girl that had visions? No, 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 no. Hilde, she came from an upper-class German family, um, a big one. Uh, she was the youngest of ten children, and she wasn't necessarily a weakling child, but she did suffer a lot from headaches. And interesting, these headaches accompanied her visions, and they started around three years old. So nobody knew what uh, you know what the cause of these headaches were. But one way or the other, by the age of seven years old, they sent her away to be, uh, you know, schooled as a novice in a very famous con- convent now, um, which I laugh every time I try to say this word. So please forgive me if I burst out laughing. disib Odenberg. And it's called Disib Odenberg because there actually was uh, a saint, disibod from Ireland, who founded this... Um, convent uh in six i think 640 or 604 i can't remember now uh so yes thank you <laughs> saint Disibod, bod and the place is Disibodenberg, boddenberg which is somewhere in the rhineland um anyway i hope i don't have to say that word again uh so hildegard went to this place and she was uh, cared for and nurtured by um the young abbess uta uh a very wise woman who was the head of the aura and uh, of the order? She was also an aristocrat, um, a daughter of a count, and she had chosen this uh, scholarly monastic uh, life for herself. And they became very close friends. And Hildegard learns to read and write. She learns prayers. She's introduced to music. She learns to play um, uh, a psaltery, which is a, a it's a stringed instrument, rather like a zither. And she learns Latin and she's encouraged to be educated and she's very adept at all of her academic studies. And around this time, uh, she's also instructed by a monk named Volmar who was going to have a huge influence on her life. Uh, This chap, he was uh, the prior of the convent and he was the nun's confessor because uh, women were not allowed to hear confession or celebrate mass or preside over anything other than meetings of women. So even though it was a female order. They had to have a bloke doing all the important stuff. Uh, So Hildegard confided to Jutta about her visions. Jutta tells Volmar. Volmar goes cool and encourages Hildegard to really, you know, to believe that these were authentic visions and to write them down and to write about them. And her studies continue. Blah, blah, blah. Going forward, 14 years old, She's old enough to make her profession of faith, and she was accepted into the order. Now I would say at this time, for anyone who doesn't have that background, uh, the monastery, uh, the, the convent, the nunnery, as it was called, right there, this was a place where upper-class women, women from uh, moneyed families, could take shelter from the world. Uh, if you were a poor person and you couldn't afford the dowry that the nunnery demanded from you, you could still participate in convent life, but you would be a servant. Um, I found a little writing from a scholar that says, for upper-class women, the convent filled basic, several basic needs. It provided an alternative to marriage by receiving girls whose families were unable to find them husbands. It provided an outlet for nonconformists, women who did not wish to marry, um, women who also felt they had a religious vocation. Uh, women who thought that marriage was repugnant, or perhaps they saw in the convent a mode of life in which they could perform and perhaps distinguish themselves. So in essence, the nunnery was a refuge for female intellectuals. And Hildegard certainly was a female intellectual. Um, she distinguished herself, not just for her academic uh, prowess, but her devotion to God, her service to others. Um, and when um, the wise woman in Utah died, Hildegard um, was chosen to succeed her as um, the head nun. So I want to say something about her visions. Um, when she was younger, she was afraid of them and, and, and resisted them, um, as you would be, really, because people might think you're mad and put you in a madhouse. Uh, that happened in those days. But, you know, under the tutelage of Vormar, she really became to understand that these were, Messages from God, and they encouraged her to write them down. Um, but when she got these visions, she also had horrible headaches and certain types of paralysis in her body, almost like she was having a seizure. Um, and one of the stories she writes, she writes, "In this affliction, I lay thirty days while my body burned with fever, and throughout those days, I watched a profession, a procession of angels, innumerable who fought alongside Michael. "'against the dragon and won the victory. "'And one of them called out to me, "'Eagle, eagle, why sleepest thou? "'Arise, for it is dawn. "'Eat and drink.' "'Instantly my body and my senses came back into the world, "'and seeing this, my fellow nuns who were weeping around me "'lifted me from the ground and placed me on my bed, "'and thus I began to get my strength back.' So boy this was hard that every time she had a vision she had to go through this stuff. Um so she was encouraged by Volmar and the abbot, a chap called Kuno, um uh to 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 write. So she wrote best-known books. Um she's best known for Scivius, uh, which is actually short for Scito Vias domini, know the way of the lord. Uh and you know she wrote that um about her visions and what they meant to her. Uh, and even Pope Eugenius at that time read part of her visions and he approved them as authentic revelations and said, go ahead, Hilde, continue the work. Um, and it was very good for this particular convent in uh, here or oh, here's that word again, <laughs> D.C. um because people would visit and they would give donations. So, you know, she, they were all onto a good thing there. Anyway. Uh we're coming up to about 1147 Common Era now, and Hildegard, she wants to leave, the D word, <laughs> and she wants to found her own convent in Rupertsburg. Uh, and her request uh, it didn't go down well with Abbot Kuno. He said, no, you cannot go. You must stay here and be the prioress of the D word convent, Uh and uh, you can't leave because, quite frankly, you know, we're making far too much money from you. And that didn't make Hildegard very happy. So she repeated her request and he said no again. Uh, and then she took the matter to the archbishop who said yes, but Kuno still wouldn't release her. Uh, and she went into this tremendous paralysis as a result uh, to the extent that she couldn't move any of her limbs and the nuns were going bonkers around her and saying to Kuno, look what you've done, you terrible man. And he felt guilty. I suppose, and said, OK, Hilde, take your nuns and go. And Hilde takes her nuns and she establishes the, coven, the convent at Rupertsburg uh, with 18 nuns. And, of course, Vormar goes with her. So if you want to study Hildegard, I, I don't know where to begin. Um, if you're into nature... If you are into the ecology and you love mother nature, you must study the visions and the music of Hildegard van Bingen. Because, I mean, her concept of, um, viriditas, it's it, it, the greenness, the chi, the, the prana that runs through the nature. Ah, uh, it, it just, oh, I, I, I don't even have the words and, I have words, I have many words, but I can't find words because I feel ecstatic when I'm talking about her. Um, you know, after this first major work, the Scivias, that talks about all of her visions, uh, she wrote um, a morality play. Uh, and the only one that we, I think, the only medieval musical extant, I mean, in other words, surviving in its form, um. Ah, oh, she, how can I say, she depicts God as a cosmic egg, both male and female, full of love. You see, she said you can't just have a male God, it doesn't work. You have to have two sides to each coin. She said the male aspect of the divine is transcendent, while the female is imminent. And it's in this immanence, 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 the word itself, which invites rapport with the divine. And Hildegard believed that um, before man fell, God was worshipped by celestial song. And after the fall, when we were so separated from the concept of the divine, we loved music because our souls remembered that that was how we used to communicate with the divine. And she thought music is the only expression of devotion to God. And you must sing your devotions to the divine. So this woman, she was a holistic healer. I mean, she loved the spiritual energies. She sang people back into health. She used natural remedies to maintain health. Um, In fact, she composed uh, a book of subtleties of the diverse qualities of created things. That's in two sections, medicine and causes and cures of disease. And she always said the natural world exists in harmony with humanity. Humans should care for nature, and nature will do the same for humans. So please, if you have any interest in mystics but have not explored them, Hildegard of Bingen is an excellent place to start. Recordings of her music are easily found, as are her writings, and I recommend all of them. Alright, my sweethearts. Gosh, my darlings, I think that's it for today. I have finished my martini and that means the end of the show. Today's real life martini was a classic dry gin concoction using Beef Eater London dry gin. Very nice it was, too. It's the quintessential London Dry Gin, made with big juniper character and strong citrus notes. This is an authentic London Dry for those who enjoy the real taste of a real gin. And I certainly do, let me tell you. So if anyone out there wants to sponsor me, I'm sure that your gin will quickly become my favourite. Folks, a reminder that cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use the best ingredients possible and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abadisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.